Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today, I'm very excited. I have the woman behind How She Really Does It. We're going to share how it got started. This is the woman that I've talked about over the years of being on my front lawn, and she is here to be the voice behind the person with the story of how she really does it. My friend Trudy Roth, she's a writer, a community leader, and a meditation teacher. And it all fits together when you consider her mission to help people express themselves authentically in all realms. She's the chief content officer for Movement Ventures, and Trudy partners with Brian Clark and Jared Morris to help people live their best life at midlife with info-rich content from the weekly newsletter further and actionable education and tools and a most excellent accountability-based community, which she leads in Well and Wealthy, which we talk about in the show. Trudy is also a freelance content marketer and has a ghostwriting business. It's the true story and is the co-creator of the meditation resource the Shakti sisters. We'll have links to Trudy on our show notes. Trudy, hello and welcome to How She Really Does It. Corinne, I've been waiting, I don't know, 16 years. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible moment and it is really incredible. I'm so honored and happy to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here because I may have talked about you through the years like I've done probably close to 900 shows at this point. So I can't remember, but I know I've talked about you and you being so pivotal in me starting this podcast and in the career that I do now, you knew me all before how she really does it. And so I'm bringing you in for the behind the scenes of what that looked like back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005, something like that. Yeah. I started this in 2006. So we're here to celebrate how she really does it. Sweet 16. 16th year of shows, which is like mind blowing. I didn't know if I'd be here this mind long. Blowing. But I want to talk about how it all began. And then I'll talk about some key learnings that I've had from doing this show. So for the listeners here, Trudy is a longtime friend. We met at preschool, not our preschool. No. <laughs> it was our kids preschool and Trudy was one of those people I was like fascinated with but I was also very petrified of because (laughs) I was like oh no and I didn't think I was cool enough to be her friend Wow! and And here we are many many years later friends still now you're too cool to be my friend (laughs) I feel like I have miles to go now. Uh, We're both still dorks. Yeah, total dorks. (laughs) So Trudy and I became friends because our kids became best buddies in preschool. And then I got to know her and we became friends. And then as soon as we became these great friends, she moved away and she lives in LA. So I don't get to see her as often. But again, she's been one of those lifelong friends that has been there through the times. And so she and... The other thing that's really important is when I was starting this podcast, not only there's a pre-story to starting the podcast, but when I was starting this podcast and then I built, had my first professional website because the first one I built on iWeb, my first professional website, you wrote the copy about my about page. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this goes way back to the beginning of so many things, not just your career, but you're a pioneer in doing what you do. In podcasting, it was originally a radio show. Makes it sounds like you're <laughs> 1902, but kind of in the digital age. And having a website and even having an about page, all of that, that was all very novel at the time you did that. And it yeah, wasn't that did- long ago, but it was like light years ago. There weren't courses on like how to write copy, right? Not, not, I mean, there were courses, but not like the way we have them so much on the internet, right? You might go take a course somewhere, but they're just... I mean, copy blogger is yeah. something that came after I actually started this 
Yeah, which is it was podcast. it was launching around the around the same time, but you know, it was probably a few years before people really got as monstrously successful as it did. You are now partners with is Brian Clark from Copyblogger. That's right. I am now partners with the founder of Copyblogger, Brian Clark. And we were, yeah, we, I mean, we were both like fangirls back in the day of, of like Brian and Chris Brogan, a lot of the pioneers in the content marketing space who coined those expressions, those terms, mm-hmm. content marketing. What we were doing didn't have that name at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny to think about it that way, but that is the truth. Totally the truth. Okay. So let's talk about how she really does it started. Because again, if the listeners have heard me tell the story, they've heard me, but now I'm bringing in somebody else. So what do you remember about me starting the show? So I just remember, I mean, I have a really vivid memory of us, you know, we were both had little kids and we were both career women. I had just, the reason I I was living in the small town and met you in the first place. I had just, this is why Corinne was terrified of me. I had literally just moved from New York City. I had had my second child and I couldn't live there anymore. It was just too hard. And I took a face first nosedive. I like to say, you know, I went from being chief ass kisser to being chief ass wiper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from being out there, you know, in the world, in the corporate world to being kind of an at-home mom. And I was real fish out of water. And so luckily and thankfully, Corinne befriended me because I feel like most people are kind of like, who is this freakazoid who doesn't really know one thing? And this is in a town where everybody did like, you know, cloth diapers and homemade baby food. And I was like, where's the subway? I don't know where I am. I'm lost. (laughs) Where's my nanny? I don't have one anymore. I'm the nanny. Oh, God. Who are these tiny creatures? What am I supposed to do with them? So my recollection... So we really started hanging out and really enjoyed each other and laughed a lot. And it was Easter. It was like an Easter. And I'm Jewish. So it was like, are you kidding me? I'm so stoked about an egg hunt. Like my kids are not getting this at our house. So thank God Corinne has a whole Easter set up, which is so cool. And I was so happy that Corinne was doing this with my kids. And we just really got to talking about what we wanted to do when we grew up. (laughs) while we were raising children. And it turned out, shockingly enough, we had hopes and dreams and ideas. And I think the seeds of unrest in your life with how your working situation was going was absolutely starting to bud. I had stepped off, like I just said, I stepped off the corporate track and knew I could never go back, but didn't really know where to go to. And I think we really got talking about like, how do you do this? How do you have a career and ambition And all the things that we did have as part of our life and raise our kids and be great moms and all that without succumbing to this unrealistic expectation. And I think I was, as I recall, I was talking to you and you're naturally a coach. So you started sort of coaching me. So in my, like, I believe a burst of just feeling really freaked out about what I honestly gotten myself into and walked away from. I just remember you giving me really good advice. And I think at some point I just said, you need a book. You need a book. You need to write a book. And I'm still saying that. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's, you know, that was actually maybe kind of outmoded too. It's like, yeah, no, you actually need a podcast and you need a blog and you need to productize your services. There's all sorts of other other routes as well. But I still stand by you need a book. I mean, I'm looking at that spot right now on my front lawn where you had said, Corinne, you need to have a book. We just had this probably 900 Easter egg egg hunt that your kids got to be a part of, right? Which is all fun and fantastic. And then you were there saying, you need to have a book. And I mean, this is 2000, I think it's 2004. So I'm 32 at the time. And 9-11 had been pretty recent, right? So it was pretty raw. And you had experienced that. You were a vice president in corporate America, right? And then coming into total suburbia, you know, very liberal town, very politically correct town that we live in. And, you know, and being in our 30s and going, okay, I love my kids and there's this desire for more. And this isn't kind of what I was promised that I could have it all. And then I remember you saying, you need to write a book. And I talk about it. Like, I didn't have the words or the knowledge then. But this idea of like, I'm an imposter. I'm a fraud. I'm not worthy enough to write a book. Why would I write a book? And here you're telling me, Corinne, you need to write a book. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, as I recall, it was just whatever it was that you said to me, and I wish I had it like taped or something. Like we probably have 5,000 pictures of the children finding <laughs> eggs, but not that like aha moment when it was like, man, you're you're good at this. Like you're helping me see a way forward, you know, into the world where like we stop equating having it all and doing it all is the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is really the bill of goods that our generation of women I think we're really sold. It was like, you can do all the things, have all the things all at once. And you can all, you're Wonder Woman. You got the magic bracelets in the last two. You go, girl. And all that, which I think, you know, I, I would hope, and I do know that this is the theme of a lot of what you discuss, like that's myth busting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there are lots of ways to balance it all. Without buying the other kind of BS statement, like, oh, you have to do is balance. It's like, well, easier said than done, you know? There's that magical thinking of like, oh, it's, you know, I'm going to be able to go and do this, or I'm going to be able to fit in this way in this mold that, I mean, one of the things that we've seen during COVID, right? We've seen women leave the workforce again in tremendous amounts because who were the people at home? I mean, you and I was, I felt so fortunate, right? Because I had adults, but who are the people at home taking care and dealing with Zoom school, oftentimes it was the females. And again, this is not, I know there are many men that do stuff, so this isn't a slam to men, but there has been a huge exiting of women from the workforce during this period of COVID. So this whole do it all doesn't work. Instead of fitting into a system is how do we create a life that works for all of our differences and the things that we need? That's what our conversations were a lot about. And I did not see a different way. I I was actually, you know, again, not to be so gender specific, but like when a man walks away from the workforce, it's like, oh my God, is he okay? Did he have a break? What's wrong with him? And when women do, it's like, oh, of course she is. Now she's going to be a good mommy. At least, you know, that was kind of the ethos 16 years ago when our kids were little. And it was a very humbling move actually for me. I love working and I have a career now that I absolutely love that I think will resonate, you know, with your listeners a lot because it is a balance. It's not crazy in one direction. And I really am there for my family because that is my top priority, honestly, but it's not my only priority. And, you know, some of the, the things that I get out of that we get out of working, you know, (laughs) like things you need, like financial stability, topping the list, but also, you know, validation and purpose and meaning, that all comes into play too. And at the time, I remember just feeling really hopeless, like black and white thinking, like, right, like that part of my life is now over and now I have to raise decent human beings, but I'm miserable myself and I don't know how to get out of this. And I think, you know, what I recall, and I think this is really where your business was born of and this podcast came from was going like, okay, yes, and I can validate your emotions, but now what are we going to do about it? And how do we make some hard choices? And how do we even identify that we've made choices? And that's the the coaching aspect of it. And I'm sure that's the part where I went, God, write this down, <laughs> write it all down. So I don't forget what you're saying right now. Cause I finally, for the first time, in, you know, almost at that point, it was probably a year of living there. I felt hopeful again, like, oh, okay, doesn't have to be one way or another. I mean, for me, right, growing up, it was like, oh, you know, women, I always talk about the Anjale commercial, right? Like the woman who can do it all. And then getting there and feeling like everything is crumbling, right? My kids are crying, I'm crying, work has its challenges. And then again, it goes back to, again, the word that I didn't know and I didn't want to exist with was shame. It was, oh, I must be not good enough. And that's why everything's such a shit show. Instead of like, of course, it's a shit show. And maybe you are doing too much. Maybe there's too much. And maybe your standards are too high, like unrealistic right? Like this perfection, right? Like I think about some of the images that we had put upon us of like, be the happy homemaker and have the spread. You know, it's like the whole Martha Stewart lifestyle, right? And it was like, well, I can't throw a dinner party if it can't look like that. But comparing my life with her and her team of professionals who are putting it on, right? And then what the expectations. So there was a lot of, you know, images of what we were supposed to be. And then being in our 30s going, 
I just kind of see a lot of dirty diapers, a lot of, you know, trying to figure out how to get it all done. And then let me beat the crap out of myself because there's something wrong with me and I'm not enough. Yep. I mean, that was <laughs> what a beautiful encapsulation of what life was like back then. And also, I think the point where we really met, I felt safe telling you my truth, which was that I was starting to have panic attacks. And I had had a panic disorder in my early 20s. And when we moved to this small suburban town, like I used to, I was a VP of marketing. I was making six figures. I thought I was the shit.com. And the truth was I got there and it was like two tiny children just getting them in a car and I couldn't do it without feeling the shame. Like I was a complete failure. And I think also women are, you know, at least in my experience, you want to feel like women are your, like, they're your people and they, you know, your, your fellow, you know, they get you. And, but actually there's a lot of competition and kind of that thing you were describing, you know, in our town, I sort of met lots of people that were doing things that, I mean, that I, I just fell into such a cycle of compare and despair. <laughs> like I can barely get, you know, canned baby food on the table. And meanwhile, people are making these gorgeous dinner parties and their kids are perfectly groomed or whatever. And feeling like, well, I don't even know what the standard is that I'm trying to live up to, but I'm desperately failing, of course. <laughs> well, wasn't it like a what we perceived as the socially acceptable standard of our community, right? Like, oh, if you're a really good mom, you're going to have organic baby food and you're going to freshly make it. I remember thinking that and reading books and thinking, like, I'm a good enough mom. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend my days making it. I was also spending my days working and making money. and remodeling a house and raising a blended family and, you know, trying to take care of myself, like I couldn't do it all. Right. And hence how she really does it, because it was like, I just felt like lots of shit I wasn't getting done and then beating myself up for it. So I was like, okay, maybe there's going to be people out there. Cause I remember I was looking for a show. <laughs> so you see, write a book, Karen. And I'm like, okay. And going, Oh, crap. And I'm like, and Trudy knows what she's talking about because she has a speaking business, right? And I was like, what am I going to do, right? Like, because you were partners with your husband and your speaking agency. And so you you would see people who had books and had these speak. And I'm like, holy moly, write a book. But I had this lack of worthiness. And it was probably another year. I mean, that's the other honest truth to the listeners. It was like another year. I think my daughter, because we were in preschool. So then it was when Mia was in kindergarten. And I was struggling more with all of my family and work and trying to figure out how do I do this life balance stuff. And I ran into somebody because I was looking for a show. I was like, I need a show. I need a radio show so I can just pop it into my ears. Podcasts weren't really big, but I knew I didn't have time to watch television. Like, I just need somebody to teach me. And this is 2006. It's spring of 2006. So nowadays, there's tons of courses, right? There's all kinds of stuff of learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like back then there wasn't like you had to go to a workshop. Like I wasn't able to leave my home for a weekend to take me time back then. Right. Like all the kids, the work no and way. all that. And so there wasn't this virtual and I don't even remember what kind of internet. I think Google was just kind of coming out around that time or had just come out. So it was better than our AOL days of the nineties. Right. Remember like going on a webpage and you click a button and it was like the modem sound that I was just trying to emulate. Yeah, the dialogue. And, and then it would take forever to get to the next page. And you'd be like, why am I doing this? I can read a magazine faster. So in 2006, it wasn't like I could have a how to. I couldn't learn how to do it better online, like the way people nowadays, right? So for those who may be in their 30s right now, it's, it was such a different world for us then as moms. And so thinking, like, okay, I'm going to bring on all these experts they're going to share their secrets with me because they must know something I don't know, right? Or they must have lived such a better enchanted life. Or maybe, you know, their family of origin taught them better than mine did. And therefore, that's why I'm so far behind. All that stuff that I know, what I just said, I know aren't true, right? Most of the successful people, like one of my key learnings is everybody has gone through struggles and successful people have had many failures or falling down moments. So like with Martha Beck, I remember when I interviewed her and that was such a big, I knew probably remember this, like when I got her from a show, right? I was so excited. 
And I remember her saying to me, like, because I was thinking, wow, she went to Harvard. You know, she's highly educated. You know, USA Today said she was America's life coach. I didn't know what a life coach was back then. I was like, okay. And actually, I had worked with a life coach before I started my show, now that I think about it. But I didn't really still quite understand it. And talked to her and I thought, oh, she just has it so much more together. She just had a better life than I did. And she said, Corinne, I've been to hell and back, right? And it's that journey to from going to hell and back. That's where we learn and we grow. So this idea for a long time with the successful people I was bringing on, it was like, okay, here's how they become successful and really getting the behind the scenes instead of like that, what I call now the highlight reel, like, oh, here they are. They must be special. You're not. It's like the old, I don't know if you remember the movie, Chariots of Fire. Do you remember oh, sure. that movie? Yeah. Right. It was all then about, do you have the God-given talent, right? You're the chosen one. And then the other people, they're not any good. And if you get coached, you're actually a cheater, right? And that was my mindset in terms of life. It was like, oh, well, I'm a mess up because I'm just a mess up. And these people who are successful, they were the chosen ones, which is what I now know is a fixed mindset. That's a fixed mindset. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something else that I remember Maybe I'll spring this on you. I don't know. I remember early on, we went to the California Women's Leadership Conference. I forget the exact name of it with Maria Shriver. You used to put that on when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. I remember your reaction. I was like, write a book or whatever. You're like, me? What? No, I can't. And you were like all shy and introverted. Then we go to the conference and I'm not kidding. (laughs) Listeners, Corinne is a maniac. She was amazing. She had no fear. She was going up to every single person, engaging them with questions right away, asking for what she wanted. I am witnessing something so stunning, which is a person coming into her own. And it was like, I'm getting teary. I'm not kidding because I remember it so clearly. And I remember thinking to myself, she always tells me, she always thought I was so ballsy, like I'm so New Yorky or whatever. That is the epitome of courage. I could not do what she's doing. And in fact, I'm so amazed by that. So I don't know if that's part of your key learnings, but I think like what I saw was a person just asking for what she wanted and without fear or shame or anything. And it wasn't even that you had such a thick skin or anything like that. It was just like you were so passionate about what you were doing that there was no stopping you. And it was just gorgeous. And honestly, it was like, I remember thinking, wow, that's like, Women need to know how to do that. We need to just ask. And if somebody says, blows you off or says no, or I don't think so, or who the hell are you? Whatever, next. Thank you, next. You know, whatever that Ariana Grande sign was, I think that was about boyfriends. But I'm just talking in general, that ability to be able to like, it was really stunning. And I think that that's, you know, if there's anything that people can learn, you know, learn by doing, learn by seeing, it's like, I'm telling you, that's the behind the scenes of seeing Corinne just doggedly yes, for herself in some ways, right? But it really was like being of service to the world. Like more people need to know how they do it. Not just women. It's not just how she really does it. There's lots of men that you've had on the show too. And I don't even know that we need to go like be gender specific at all. I'm sure just people in general, that their stories are amazing. And you're so lit up by the amazingness of people, not perfection, not status, but really just what makes people so interesting and inspirational. It really is in the, you know, in their authenticity and use and that authenticity is such a buzzword, but I I feel like you really have appreciated that from the get-go. Well, thank you. So this is part of my key learning of the power of doing it with others versus going it alone. And so again, like Trudy is an example of that, right? So whether it's standing on my front lawn and her saying, hey, you need to write a book. And then when I come to her a year later, not, not with a book, but with saying, hey, I want to do a podcast. What do you think of this title? And then I think you helped me do the tagline of the show, where inspiration and possibility meet, which is you know, for years, anytime I had a guest, they're like, I really like the tagline of your show. So thank you. And she wrote my about page, right? But then I remember going to that conference. And then afterwards, we were talking, you were like, Corinne, oh my gosh, you can work a conference like no other, right? And she's right, because I can be very shy. Like I am a shy person. I'm much more introverted. I will stand back. And there's this other side of me. And 
without Trudy being there and sharing what she saw with about me, I wouldn't have seen it. Right. And when she said that to me, that's another thing that's stuck in the back of my head and really looking at that. And you're right. It's spot on about being of service. Right. Because I would go and I would ask and I had to uncover this and unpack my mindset. But one was like, I had this naive belief that as a speaker, of course, they wanted to answer questions and help people. I realized that isn't true, (laughs) right? Like that's where ignorance is bliss because it allowed me to be courageous and reach out. And then I also, I can be so much braver for other people than I can for myself, right? So it wasn't about me or about my worthiness. It was about, hey, you have some great wisdom. I've got this platform and I have these people who want to hear it would you be willing to be a guest? So it was about how do I connect people? And that's what allowed me to be braver, right? And so I've just learned that there's a whole other side of me that comes out when I step into that mindset, right? Because it's that's that way of being. But I wouldn't have been able to see it without you. And that's why going back to this key learning I've had over the years is the power of doing it with others, not going it alone, right? Like, it's not that you're with me all the time. You know, there's some years we don't talk because we're in our own lives and our own kids or whatever, right? But having people on your team that you really trust, who've earned the right to hear your story, who are going to support you and be honest with you. And so that's what Trudy's, Trudy is a great example of that. And it happened in different, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to bring her to this conference and then she's going to give me a viewpoint, right? She watches, she's curious, she's a learner. And then she sees something and she's like, hey, Corinne, because she's seen me in different arenas, right? She's seen me at the nursery school. She's seen me at my neighborhood. We've done mom's night. And we went to somebody's house in Sacramento for some, to buy some jewelry, right? There oh, were just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've done all these different things. Yeah, I've seen you on the pool deck. You know, my kids took swimming lessons from you because every kid in the town took swimming lessons from you. So, so yeah, so we've you've seen me in a lot of different arenas, and so then you can see that contrast. Wow, that one's a good one. I I forgot about that. See, see how you are, and that's what friends are for, right? You know, that's why we need friends, and that's why you know I write a lot about longevity. And you know, there was like an eighty-year-plus study out of Harvard of friendships. And that was like, in one of the primary factors in health and longevity, not just living longer, but living a healthier, increasing your health span is to have real friends. And when you meet them, like you were saying, some years we kind of, you know, we don't really talk or we're not really in touch. It doesn't even really matter. We can pick up in a dime on a second and be right back in there because we have, you know, we're aligned in some core beliefs and we've had some great history and you know, I think we share very similar values and outlooks. And I think that's so important to celebrate. That's why I'm so happy to be here. I'm celebrating your major accomplishment. And also, I just also wanted to say I'm totally not shocked at all. Mainly because I saw the woman at the conference, not necessarily the one that's like, I could never write a book, but the one that was like, so on fire that I was like, oh my God, I would like to be Corinne when I grow up. That's amazing. And even though later, because it was it was a little bit later that I decided I want to be a life coach, right? And you said something earlier about, you know, how if we could have women support other women and help rise up, right? And so I think it's some of our own internalized patriarchy of like, oh, we have to be mean girls. And if you rise up, then I, you know, then that's less for me. Instead of learning, how can we rise up together? It doesn't have to be a power over. And so you've always been that friend of been really supportive, right? So I go with you with this. What I think is kind of a crazy idea, like, I want to be a life coach. You're totally supportive. I think you were my one of my first clients and, and my practice clients. And I worked with you on writing your book. And then Trudy trusted me and then started referring. And I, one of my first paid clients came from you. You referred people. Yeah, you're natural. I mean, I mean that's that's the other part of it, too you know, talking about supporting each other, but it's also like, I'm discerning. So it's like, if I'm, you know, gonna refer somebody to my, another one of my people, you're gonna be good at what you do. So I'm not just blindly loyal. Like I would be the first person to say to you too, like, hey, dude, like, that was not great, you know, but that was not the case with you. And also, you know, all those years, time and effort, life experience, lived experience, studying that you did to become a coach in one realm translated so beautifully into the broader life coaching realm 
And it was also, I think, you know, really, it's like the things that we do that influence what we'll do in the future. And they may not be the same thing. You know, I think that that like your evolution has also been really fascinating and inspiring to watch because it's really interesting to see how you translate it into the next thing. But there's always next thing. And that's also is what gives us meaning and purpose is our children are not babies anymore. They're mm-hmm. grown minor. Grown, ours are, you know, almost fully grown adults. And the beauty of it is neither one of us is in there going like, now what? Mm-hmm. 16 years ago, I was like, now what? <laughs> now I know what? And I'm good. <laughs> it's all good. Well, you know, so it's interesting because I remember when I was going through the process and, and even doing the radio show at first, it was like, why am I doing radio? Like, I didn't listen to talk radio. I didn't like to turn it on. Like, I like to watch television. I was visually very stimulated, right? That was my go-to. And I was like, how am I supposed to be on the radio show? The great thing, though, in the driving force for me was my pain was so great. And I was trying to solve a problem, right? Like, because I really believed I was messed up and I need to find a better way. And you and I were talking about it. And I was reading some books about this. And I was like, there's got to be solutions. And I was looking for solutions. And again, in the pre-internet you know, internet course days and I feel like there are a lot more, I could be wrong, but I feel like there are a lot more thought leaders now than there were then. And I just really want to know, like, how do we do this? So moving forward and doing the podcast and then finding out like, okay, great, there's knowledge. But I started getting the tension inside of me because it was like, I like to help people, right? I like to help people integrate. I like to work with them. I like to see those results instead of just putting it out there and planting seeds. I wanted to see it and be a part of it you know, having this courage to go and get training in it. And the beauty is now I look back and as you said, yeah, I was a swim coach, right? Like I know how to coach people and help people overcome their objections, overcome their limiting beliefs, all of that. But to create the results that they want. And my favorite, favorite part, especially when I was coaching college, was when they would come into my office either before or after practice and they were in struggle and it was lack of belief in themselves, right? Or whatever, there was some sort of turmoil. I loved when they were in my office and we got to talk. Like my husband this morning goes, oh, I just wrote my workout. I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to do that anymore, (laughs) right? Like writing swimming workouts are not my thing, right? Talking with people, listening to people, holding space, right? Giving them, you know, insights or research data points for them to draw onto or be able to see things. That's what lights me up. So I've just been able to, part of it is my whole body of work has prepared me to do the work that I do now. And I've continued to go on and learn and grow new skills. And again, like the success of my career has also been lots of falling down moments, right? So it's been a continual thing. The big thing is, I think one of the reasons why I'm either here with the podcast or with my business is I just haven't quit, right? I kept going and I knew what I wanted. And there were days, and especially those early days, I was like, really? Can I really make a living off of this, right? Can I do that? And I look around now and I'm like, holy moly, like I have a coaching business that is full, right? Like I get to work with amazing clients that I truly love. And it's so cool to see their growth and for them to be able to see it and to have the transformations and to be on that journey. It's so, so rewarding. And it's so fun, right? And to be able to be partners with them. And I'm like, gosh, that woman back in 2006, if she knew that this was what was going to be her life. And it's it's amazing. And there's still shit shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's still shit yeah. shows. Except now I take it less personally. I don't go, oh, I'm a bad person. There's something wrong with me. I'm not doing it right. I'm like, oh, there's that, you know, I'm like, oh, this is part of the process. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the person you were all those years ago too, you know, the other thing that really stood out to me, it's like, you had done it, man. You had done the, you know, the dream, you had a job, you had, you know, job security and, oh, and you know, you'll have a big pension if you just stay this way, if you just keep your mouth shut, if you don't, you know, if you put up with (laughs) a terrible situation, like all sorts of things that, you know, again, going back to that fixed mindset, if the fixed mindset had stayed in place, none of this would have been possible. So the growth mindset that says that things can be learned and expansion is where we go, that piece of it, it sounds really great in theory, but like watching you go through that is hard. 
we have to battle so many of our own like lifelong demons that say, oh, no, no, stay secure, stay small or whatever. I watched you do that. And I watched you go through to hell and back professionally. I remember sitting in a car and talking to you on the phone and just hearing like stuff. I went, oh my God, get out of there. You have to get out of there. It's not healthy or safe for you. But we're talking about like, it's not that simple. You know, it was like, well, but this is where puts food on the table. And this is what keeps, you know, I got kids to put through school and I got, I got responsibilities. And if I can just keep my mouth shut and sit still, (laughs) you know, there's a, there's a pot of gold at the end of this, you know, bullshit rainbow. It wasn't a rainbow at all. And it was definitely a mirage. And then you had the fortitude to say, there's a piece of me that wants that kind of security more than anything. But a bigger part of me says, let go. That letting go piece of it, which is so much a part of what you're doing now and helping people learn how to do, it's the only way to get to a way different place, a place of much, you know, in your case, a much greater security. And, you know, how do we define security? I would say, like, I'm most secure when I know that, like, everything's just okay. (laughs) That's my (laughs) definition of security. Like, nothing needs to change. Well, my definition of bliss. Mm -hmm. But I'll take bliss over security any day. Well, I mean, there was so much about that job, right? It was survival. It was like, oh, if I stay here, I have lifetime job security. I'm tenured, right? Like I hit the bonanza. I have this job that there's maybe 30 of them in the state of California, right? So it's not a job that many people have and they only come open like once every 30 years, right? So it was this whole scarcity thing that just kept feeding on itself. And I remember talking with you about that and I had lots of tears and I was dealing with so much and I didn't even know it at the time, but it was misogyny. And it was so hard. And, you know, my only solution was I just have to work harder and harder so that they finally, so I get accepted, right? And you're right about like learning how to not use my voice, which is the opposite of what I do here on How She Really Does It is like own my voice and teach my clients how to own their voice. And guess what? Like I recorded another podcast today about that specific thing of where I wasn't owning my voice. Right. And here I'm in into this show 16 years. So we still have arenas to clean up at and work on and practice. You know, you talk about mindset. I mean, one of the things is that I think when I was in that career, the only gear that I really had was work hard, work hard and win. If you do that, there's two gears, work hard and win. If you're successful and you work really hard, you will be safe. Right. And people will like you. And what I now understand is how important mindset matters because the work hard and be successful came at a cost to like my emotional well-being, my health, right? There were a lot of days that Trudy was on the other end, you know, and I was crying, you know, and in tears and she would hear me and she would never judge. She was always very supportive. And then I go back out and I repeat and go to work again because I thought, no, I can't leave because I thought this is the only way I could support my family. And that's mindset, right? I, I didn't realize at the time that I had limiting beliefs. At one point, I finally got to the point, I was like, oh, they're golden handcuffs, right? Because this is like the dream, but they were really handcuffs. And it was coming at a cost, maybe not a financial cost, but an emotional cost. It's not worth it. And, you know, we can't just simply say like, oh, walk away. It's so simple. <laughs> like it's, it's all of the things. It's mm-hmm. hard and necessary. And you need a community like the How She Really Does a podcast and, you know, a teacher who can help you get past that hump. You, we cannot, like you were saying, one of your key learnings, we don't do it alone. You just can't. You can't do it alone. And and who you surround yourself with, like I remember interviewing the executive director of Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill wrote the book, Think and Grow Rich. And one of the things he interviewed all the titans of industry back in the early 1900s and who you surround yourself with is so, so important, right? So, you know, Trudy, you've been in my life for a really long time now, right? A couple of decades and how important that is. And think at how much, like, you know, again, we're talking about the front lawn, right? Conferences and the different converse, those are the two pivoting ones we remember. And then how many countless times, you know, at my house, at your house, in a car, at the park, whatever. But you've been really important of like, Corinne, there's a different way. Take a look. I know that. And and I remember you using like, look, I was in New York. I thought I climbed this pinnacle. I was the VP of marketing in this corporate. And then 
9-11 happened and I really started to rethink my own life, right? That's so important is who do you surround yourself with and then paying attention to what are the stories, right? Like our mindset really matters. You and I've talked about growth and fixed mindset and I learned that from Carol Dweck here. So important that we we know about our brain and the stories that our brain likes to tell us. And it's important that we learn how to manage our brain instead of having our brain manage us. Yes. This is why I've become a meditation teacher in my <laughs> later years because I finally cracked that that nugget open. And yes, since I started meditating, which I fell in love with, and now I teach it. I teach Vedic meditation. It's been a game changer. And it's mainly just about, you know, shutting down that squawky little squirrel or whatever that voice in your head mm-hmm. is that says you can't or you shouldn't or why would you or what a loser. Mm-hmm. And we all have it. I mean, that's our fight, flight, freeze, please uh-huh. response. Well, you said something that's really important. We all have it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when we're in that struggle, we think we're the only one, but we all have it. And you said something else earlier about, you know, people with the status or the titles, right? And so often we can put people, especially when we first meet them, that, oh, they have the status or this title. We think, wow, we're going to put them on a pedestal because they've got it all figured out. And they don't have those struggles. And one of the things that I really try to do here with my guests, and I do a lot with myself, is to really go open up what goes on behind the green curtain, right? Here's all the great stuff. And then what really goes on? What does it really look like? So we can learn and then be able to integrate a better way for our own lives. So like when we have the falling down, we go, oh, yes, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. With this. And then that's right. This is what I want to do and start practicing that and being okay with that. Real life lessons, not so simple. And also, you know, the screw up or the embarrassing pratfall, that's the opportunity. Again, it's one of those like easier said than done. Like we kind of know that, but then it really happens. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm the worst. You know, again, I think it keeps coming back to having friends to, you know, and resources like your show that can give you perspective. And then you go, okay, I'm not the only one. And this too shall pass. And the voice in my head is about keeping me small and safe. And it's a biological response, survival mechanism. And I'm not trying to outrun a, you know, saber tooth tiger at the moment. So I can withstand the discomfort of not knowing or doing or being what I think I'm supposed to do and still show up to keep going. Mm And that's, that's, I mean, I think all those years ago, that's what we were kind of like, how do we keep going? We're already like, right, we're in our early 30s, ground to a halt, <laughs> beaten down by life. <laughs> yeah, our lives are really full, right? And sometimes it was really full with stuff we didn't really want. I mean, the busyness of being moms with young kids and all that that requires in this space. And we love our kids. You love your kids. I know how important they are, but also learning how to carve out time for ourselves, right? And so... Yeah. I mean, I remember in your early days of writing, a lot of times it was done at five in the morning before the oh, kids yeah. got up, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm still, of course, they broke my spirit and I can't sleep anymore. So I'm still at 5 a.m. <laughs> writing, but that's a story for a different podcast. But now I write for fun at five in the morning. I'm not, you know, so driven like I'm, you know, if I don't make this, I will never make it. And, you know, I'm not writing out of fear. I'm writing out of fun and I'm writing out of, you know, and actually now it's my vocation. It it took me many years, even past from when you and I first met, I was 40 before I actually said out loud, I'm a writer. That's what I do for a living. (laughs) So, you know, we all have the voice in our head and like, you know, and labels are just that. Like, I'm not just a writer. There's lots of other things that I do too. So I don't like to stick on, you know, any one particular label, but you know, it's a journey to figure out what brings you joy. What can you do to make money? And that can also serve the world. That's, you know, once you know what that is, that's what I did without knowing that's what I was doing all those years ago saying, you need a book correct. (laughs) What I really meant was you need a platform. You need to be able to share. You have so much wisdom And you very intuitively know how to help people change. That's just the word, transform. I mean, back again, going back to 2004, really the platforms was writing a book, right? Like podcasting had kind of, there was a few podcasters out there, but 
it wasn't like when I started my show and made it, a, it was a first a 30 minute show and that seemed like ridiculously long format. And then I moved it to an hour, which was totally ridiculous. Nobody had it right. You know, now you have got Tim Ferriss and there's a lot of long format shows out there, but I was totally doing something that wasn't the norm. And it was beautiful because I'd get guests come on and I'll never forget, like, you know, Peter Walsh came on and they're used to these short sound bites because if they're on television or radio, it's really short and quick. And then I remember it was always about the half hour mark where I get to the sweet spot, right? And mm-hmm. one point, you know, I had, a, I had a guest on the show who at that time was not out publicly. And I remember we were talking afterwards and he goes, oh my gosh, Karen, I was so comfortable and so relaxed. I almost came out on your show, you know, and that was, you know, <laughs> he just, he forgot because we were having a conversation. I mean, and there was so much more authenticity once we got, I was always trying to get beyond their, their normal sound bites. Like what else is there? Let's have these conversations. So going back to the book, you wanted me to have a platform. I still am noodling and I've had a book contract and then I kind of reneged on it. Well, I didn't kind of, I did renege on it, but I'm still noodling going back and writing a book and like really putting, you know, words down. And you and I talked about that recently. So yeah, continue (laughs) to encourage you. It's a law of gestation, you know, things are not always cooked. You got to give it time. And sometimes that time is 16 years. (laughs) This is a really important thing. And is about time, right? Because like, so for you to be able to identify as a writer at 40, right? For me to make that transition from, you know, at first kind of complaining, having pity parties to like really wanting, you know, not having beliefs, like not having limited mindset about being able to leave my job to finally leaving. There were many, many years, right? It wasn't something like I went, oh, I want to leave. There were many, many years. And there was also the building of this platform. There was the building of my next, my next job is, so it took time. And I had a client yesterday who was kind of beating herself up about time. And last week, I had another client say, gosh, this is taking so much time. But it does take time, right? Like, I mean, you and I, we've been in this, these industries for a long time. And what may seem like an overnight success, there's been a lot of noodling that's been going on. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I don't even, I think it's a, you know, faux Buddha quote, you know, it's not, Happiness is not a destination. It's a journey, right? So, you know, as I get older, I sort of feel like, you know, less interested in making myself like fake finish lines and more interested in being present with what's going on and really intentional about what I want to do next. And, you know, and just getting clearer and clearer and clearer. But you can't have clarity in a heartbeat in a two seconds. Like, okay, now this is what I'm, you know, who I'm going to be or what I'm going to do. It sounds actually really boring to me. I wouldn't even want that if I could have it. Sometimes it's like what we think, right? Like what I originally thought was going to happen with my show and where I am are very different. And this is way more authentically me in how I get to work with my clients and serve my clients and the people that I get to you know, work with. And it's not that there aren't days. There are some days, especially Tuesdays where I'm like, that was a hard day, right? Or if my clients are going through stuff and I'm going through with it, it is an ass kicking. But overall, like I just go, wow, like these are the people I get to work with. This is the cool stuff I get to do. And then the same thing happens like when we get emails or Instagram messages or, you know, and people are like, People I have never met who said, you have helped me change my life. And it's like, holy moly, like the power of this medium, right? Like, so I've just realized like we're planting seeds and this is the work I get to do. Like, how cool is that? And I need to make sure I take care of myself so that I can come back and do the work again, right? So one of the things is like for you, you have this well and wealthy community net that you've got with Brian Clark now, like, look at you. And I got to be a guest and and come and speak about cultivating a money mindset. So thank you for that. So that's the cool, right? I got to I go mean, and be in your you world. Top my list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really cool. Like, and if we had thought, like, oh, I've got to get through this faster. I need a. Could you have made that happen? And this well and wealthy community working with Brian Clark. Could you have made that happen? Could you have fast tracked that any faster than how it all came together? Never. No, I wouldn't have even wanted to because that would have cut out points along the journey that all ratcheted up to like, what do I really want to do? Because, you know, similarly, 
I came off a you know big corporate job and I was VP and title and money and this and that. And I wasn't actually happy doing that. When I really look back in time, this job that I was so devastated to have walked away from was something I didn't even like. <laughs> I liked doing the marketing stuff and I liked being creative and all that. And I still get to do that. You know, and I love that, you know, I, I want to just point out the language you use, like, I get to, I get to, I get to. I just heard that like four times in a row. Not I have to, not this is what I got to do. I get to. Such an important, talk about mindset, mindset. You know, I get to do these things and I get to do them because I open those doors. So I wouldn't want have ever wanted to rush through that. Like, you know, the short of my journey was just, you know, I was this VP of marketing. I hired writers and I da, 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 da. And then I, you know, I said, you know, jumped off suburban life kids. And then I, you know, helped my husband build his business, which was a lecture agency. And it wasn't really my jam. And little by little, it's like I had to go relearn. The internet happened. I mean, this is actually what we're talking about here. Like when I left my industry, there was barely such a thing as a website. We had a really early website and that was it. I didn't know anything about it. I had to go back to school. So I, I took an online class at University of San Francisco, and then that led me to Copy Blogger. And then I was like, I love what this guy's talking about. And I followed him for many, many, many years without spending a dime. That's content marketing, dispensed a lot of free information until I was like, hey, man, I'm ready to make a change. I became a Copy Blogger certified content marketer, and then I was a writer. And it took, you know, I did that all in my like advanced adulthood. Like my kids are now in elementary school and into middle school. And now I'm finally getting to do these things that didn't even exist really when I was in my first tranche of professional life. So new things come up and that's, you know, and they keep coming up. That's the point. And that's what's going to keep us young is to see what keep, what's next. Well, and that's an example of like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? We can't exactly see how things are going to unfold and plan for it. But then look at the synchronicity for you is now your partners with Brian Clark, who started Copy Blogger, who would have thought, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. that's the beauty of when you're learning and you're willing to continue on and trek through and be brave. I mean, saying I'm a writer is really being brave to be able to take on that identity and say, and you took it on. It wasn't like somebody cast it on you, right? Like somebody didn't go, oh, you're now the VP of you know, marketing, right? So somebody's putting the crown on you versus you taking on this and saying, I'm a writer, I'm a life coach, I'm a podcaster. Well, Trudy, thank you so much for coming and helping me celebrate how she really does it. Sweet 16. If there was no Trudy Roth, there would probably be no how she really does it. So um, thank you. I don't know about that, Corinne. Thank you. And I'm going to give you a big mazel tov because this is a major deal. It's a huge congratulations. And I mean, sweet 16, yes, but I'm excited to see how much more there is to come because I just think you're awesome. Well, I think you're awesome too. So thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. I'm smiling big for you. Never been so. Well.